Welcome to another episode of Beyond Four Walls, and today I am very excited to welcome Louise Hunt Skelly PLY. Louise is a Paralympian whose attitude of just try it means she fully embraces all aspects of life. And we have previously collaborated on a blog about creating inclusive living spaces. So I thought Louise would be the perfect podcast guest. So thank you, Louise, for coming. No, thank you for having me. I'm Sounds really excited like, to be here. I said thank you, Lou. <laughs> thank you, Lou. <laughs> thank you, Lou. Do you know what? We can just make up our own language here. <laughs> That's fine. Who needs to worry about a script? We'll just make it up <laughs> as we go along. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming today. So can you just start by sharing a little bit of your personal journey? Yeah, sure. I'll try and do it in a nutshell. Okay. Um, which I've realised as I get older, it becomes harder, right? You're like, there's more <laughs> things to touch upon now. Well, there you go. Um, so sort of previous life, as you mentioned, I was a Paralympic athlete. So I competed in London and in Rio. And my sport was tennis, the best one, appreciate I'm biased. And then I retired just before the Tokyo Paralympic Games, actually, which is what I was aiming for. But the pandemic kind of made me realise, both because it gave me time and because the games got delayed, that actually that chapter of my life had come to its natural end. So I retired just before those games and then ended up working on them um, as okay. a commentator, which was an exciting but out of nowhere opportunity. Like it felt like it came a bit left field. My, my dream post athletic career was always to go self-employed. I really wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to work in the areas that really filled me with passion and that I felt like was going to make a real difference so I do a massive variety of stuff now from commentary to consultancy Um, I'm an international tournament director I do bits of work around inclusion public speaking athlete mentor um, and I work with a local charity as well helping adults with learning disabilities find employment so that's a bit about me it's kind of hard to put them all into one because it's such a varied like sort of portfolio of work but that's what I love and that's what I always dreamt of doing well that's amazing and for what I am trying to achieve with this podcast if you like is just talking not just about block management but everything around what that means and that means that there obviously there are people living in these properties who might require care or additional access availability or or anything like that so in your experience I suppose and working within inclusivity and your experience with wheelchair tennis how has that influenced your perspective on accessibility? All, kind of always thinking ahead when you're when you're doing something. Is that really tricky? And I don't mean that yeah. to sound... No, no, no. It's a, it's a brilliant question, actually. So something I always really push when I'm talking about uh, people with disabilities, especially when it comes to employment, I'm always like screaming and shouting about the fact that actually people with disabilities have this innate inbuilt problem solving like DNA. Mm-hmm. But like we often, so take myself, for example, before I go anywhere... I have to think about so many things that someone without a physical disability would ever have to consider. So I had that like built within me in terms of thinking ahead, planning ahead um, and that kind of problem solving. But I feel like it's almost like one of my strengths because I can always see a way around things. Mm -hmm. But growing up, like it's interesting if I look at different parts of my life, but I grew up in a very supportive family who made sure my home was always accessible. It was never difficult to get around. And wherever we went, you know, they've done the research and the thinking ahead of how how I can get about. And actually, even if we get there and it's not ideal, we always find another way. Now, that has built within me a can-do attitude in, like, there's always a way around things. But I think when they talk about access, it's a physical thing and, uh, what's the word, like, emotional thing as well. Like, yeah. I think there's one thing where there's physical access and then there's an attitude of, like, okay, this doesn't look accessible, but how can we make it accessible? Mm-hmm. And having things accessible 
is just the absolute bare minimum that anyone deserves in life. Yeah. Like, it's not too much to ask. And it allows everyone to equally participate in society. So actually, by putting those things in place, I feel it's never too much to ask. And my experience is, once those things are put in place, you can really thrive as a disabled mm. person. But if you've not been thought about, it can actually be physically impossible, but emotionally can be really frustrating and make you feel really sad and excluded. Yeah, I can imagine that. Because if you think that, say you buy a flat and you aren't a wheelchair user or you know you don't have any other difficulties or challenges but then something happens and then you do and you have to retrospectively go to like the freeholder for example of your of your block of flats and say can I have a ramp or can I have this or can I have that Mm. and the hoops you have to jump through I mean I think there's always a way of of things being a little bit less tricky Mm. (laughs) (laughs) or I disagree with you there (laughs) yeah but um you know I think I've I've certainly come across um conversations when I've done it for my clients and I've got to go to the freeholder and say unfortunately somebody's had a stroke or something's happened to them of which they need grab bars or they need something additional for them to be able to thrive and still remain living in their home and it's like well that's 95 pounds for us to consider it and then there's this and there's this and but actually it's not appropriate for you to have a ramp because it's a grade two listed building and then somebody has to (laughs) louise is pulling the face here I'm really glad that you've brought up the topic of like acquiring a disability. Yeah. Because obviously some people like myself are born with our disability. We're the minority group that you're likely to join is mm-hmm. the way I describe it. So a lot of people in their life are very likely to experience disability, whether that be through age, injury, accident, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. So we should all be thinking about this and accommodating where we can because it could be you one day. Mm-hmm. And and I always ask people like the the people you're mentioning there who you might go to to ask for those changes to be made like just sit for a second and imagine that's you yeah and actually the difference for you living independently or not is so your examples are great a ramp a grab whale a different lock to the key to the door because it's too tricky to unlock it these things in my opinion are so minor when you assess the impact they have so the difference is that ramp mm-hmm. means that person's living fully independently in the place they call home if you don't have that, that whole thing gets taken away. So they then can't live there at all, basically. Actually, I was going to say might need support, but actually no ramp if you if that's what you require as access. But they can't live there, can they? No. And, and what I would like to say to those individuals and those you know decision makers is actually just think about the impact. Like you said, £95. Was that for like grab rails? Was that an example of grab rails? Sorry. It, generally just permission. Permission, to, right. Yeah, so say, £95 for me, I think, I think it's ridiculous if I'm being honest, that it has to be the cost even anyway. a charge. Yeah, yeah if I'm being honest. Yes no. However, £95, we're talking about somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Just do it. There's so much conversation around, well, how can we, it, health and safety, this, all this paranoia. I'm like, why don't we just strip all this back and just remember the person? Yeah. There's a person at the heart of this who is asking for the bare minimum that everybody has in life to be independent. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is the thing that needs to, we need to always bring it back to. And I get frustrated too because I feel that often these decisions are made far too slowly. And again, like they're like, well, this will take, for example, two to four weeks to happen. Okay, that's two to four weeks where that person can't leave their house mm. or can't get or into can, their house. Or can't come home if they're in hospital and they need to just have can't that come home. done. Yeah. Great example, exactly. So for me, it's like, Stan, there's always going to be a level of, you know, official process. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, ignorant to that. <laughs> but let's remember there's a person at the centre of this. Absolutely. And, you know, from a, from a mental health perspective as well, that person, I go back to having a stroke or, or something like that, you know, yes, their brain is still 
mostly okay, I'm sure, but they might have an issue with their mobility. Um, but they still know you're like you're talking about this person as if they're just a, a document that you've got to. And it, it honestly, I mean, I've sat in rooms and heard myself be talked about like that and yeah. feel like I'm not even in the room. Oh, it's horrible. Um, and it's off a piece of paper. And it's like, actually, and I know we talked about this in our blog. It's like, let's talk to that individual. Mm. Let's get their experience. What do they need? But I think, like, you touched upon the mental health side of things. Like, you also have to remember, you know, it might be a physical adaption, but you dragging your heels on that and not doing that could then have an impact on someone's mental health, which mm-hmm. then could really affect their living independently in other ways. Like, it's really yeah. important these things happen, like, efficiently, effectively, but involving that individual. And I I feel so often people with disabilities lose their choices. Yeah. And they're taken away because of, like, rules and regimen and we have to follow this process and that process. And it's actually, like, I'm not saying, like, we don't need to make sure things are safe, but can we involve that person? Let's let them explain. Yeah. Like, I so believe in that, like, choice and having that individual involved in every single one of those conversations because they know what they need, no one else. So... Say there was a block of flats being redeveloped now. I, I mean, I've always said as well, I would love to be involved at sort of literally ground level. Me too, I'd love that. <laughs> not just from, from um, you know, from a, a management point of view, but you tend to find that your take on a block of flats, for example, from directly from a developer, and I'm just using an example because I had this a couple of years ago. Um, there's a very, very small window right in the corner of a five-storey block. And the only way you can clean it is with £6,000 worth of scaffolding. You know, I'm sure it looks very pretty on the plans. But what's the point? Because ultimately, it's, again, the people, the leaseholders, the residents who are living there, who then have to pay extortionate amounts of money to clean that teeny tiny window or if there's a leak in it or if it's smashed or it's damaged or whatever flipping that over to um you know if there's a a disability aspect of it and i don't just mean a physical disability because i'm not sure if you want to touch on your husband's disability as well um you know there is so much that needs to be thought about for people being able to live a comfortable life Mm. yeah i think it's a really interesting one so from my point of view so my husband as you know um, has got a visual impairment um, and I use a wheelchair so we're quite a different we're quite a combination actually we're ticking mm. all the boxes there look um, absolutely and you help each other so yeah absolutely <laughs> and um, so you kind of so so we're both always looking at you know access ahead of where we're going and we're conscious of that and like so if you take actually us two actually what's quite interesting about us two is actually a lot of things we both need are quite, quite similar so things like no threshold on the door so keep mm-hmm. it flat Right. Like, do we need a big step into an apartment? Probably not, actually. If it's indoors, for example, like you're saying about an apartment building, mm-hmm. like, actually, the chances are... Because, obviously, when it's, like, a front door of a house, sometimes there's issues with flooding, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm not... Again, I'm not ignorant to, like, the safety and, actually, the basic things we need to do, right, to keep a building watertight or whatever. For me, like, that's one example. No threshold on the door. Well, that would accommodate me, a wheelchair user, Chris, who's visually impaired already mm-hmm. we're covering two big bases there um anyone with a mobility issue as well not necessarily a wheelchair user but the way i feel so i feel like you i'd god i'd love to be involved like from the start but i don't think like i think it's unrealistic to build every single space accessible for every single person of course i actually almost think that's an impossible ask i wouldn't even know where to start with that mm-hmm. but i think like if you get the fundamentals in so if every door for example is just not a standard small one like a slightly wider one mm-hmm. Is that like a massive difference in cost? Like huge, is it? I, I don't know, but... I suppose from a development point of view, 
just having your bog standard door, you buy them in bulk and yeah. it is what it is. And if you if you have to have them either specially made or the access has to be slightly different, I suppose there is a cost element to it, but yeah. at the same time, it's... But if you, you did it from the start, I wonder from if, the like... Start and having, just, just having the thought around it. Yeah, or even some, right? Like, some of those, yeah. like, living spaces having it. So it's not necessarily all of them, but it's just... I think if you do a few basics from the beginning mm-hmm. of a build, so... Some with wider doors, plenty with like no threshold, yeah. and just built in mind with like extra, like sp- like so turning space for example in a kitchen. That's often when you have like a galley kitchen, for mm-hmm. example, um, for someone with a mobility aid. So not just wheelchair, it could be walking frame crutches. You need that bit of extra turning space. It's just like actually just even if just some of those living spaces were considered for beyond just your regular person that can you know, walk with no disabilities. Yeah. I think would have a diff- would make a big difference. Like I say, it doesn't have to be all of them, but just those few little bits, like take out any steps going in. So like I say, there's like a flat threshold and it can be done. I grew up in a house with not <laughs> one bump in it. Oh, it was all flat. Go. My dad was a genius. Um, like I say, slightly wider doors, but a few of those basic things. But for me, do the basics where you can, where, it's, where it is cost, it's within the, that budget. Mm. But then for me, it's just, can we just adapt as we go along? Because actually, like I say, we don't need every place to suit every single person. If we make an effort in a few extra spaces, like this person's come along, I actually want to live here, but I just need like a hearing loop fitted or um, the handles are different because my dexterity I struggle with. So can we just switch those handles to a different shape, for example? Mm-hmm. Can't we do that? Because for me, that doesn't seem like too much to ask. It seems so simple. A few it? grab rails. Yeah. Like with my husband, I'm always... They, do you know this is really it's actually a challenge for us right I mean Chris is 30 and still we get confused but like we're always trying to think about the lights in our house because you don't want them glaring bright but you also they can't be too dark it's really hard balance yeah. to find but it's like actually if it's something like that like well could I just change that light fitting in this one and this one so it's better for me to see mm. like it's just is that that hard and is that too much to ask because a lot of these adaptions aren't drastically expensive and tricky it's just including that person in that journey yeah and I suppose if you if you go back to looking at it from a cost perspective surely it opens up the the market when you're selling those properties it opens up the market a lot more because you're including a lot more people and also the retention of those people within that home so like if we ever so I've lived in my like family home and then the home that Chris and I live in now and whenever we talk about future homes I'm like the thought of having to adapt another house just makes me want to cry because yeah. if your place has been adapted for you and it works and mm-hmm. you've got some sort of additional need, you're probably going to stay yeah. if it works. So, that, you know, is it not, it's an effective business model, isn't it? Like, yeah, it you get sense. this set up for that individual and it works for them, they're not going to go anywhere and they're going to keep paying your rent. Yeah. Sign me up now to run the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that job. <laughs> really? Mm, yeah, maybe, maybe like a deputy or something. Yeah. <laughs> not so you're like, not you know, quite top, a job. Top, yeah. not, top dog. Um, Obviously, you're a motivational speaker as well, which is amazing. Um, so what aspects of your journey do you emphasise, I suppose, when discussing overcoming barriers of, not just in sports, but in general, uh, towards men and women, but specifically women? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things. One thing I really like, strongly believe in is that you have sole responsibility for your behaviour, your attitude, the way you act, and what you prioritise. That, for me, has helped me overcome so much because I remind myself of that. I think barriers and challenges are inevitable for every single person. Of course. I think it's unavoidable. They just look different for each person. I just think it's the way you choose to approach it. It doesn't mean that... I always emphasise, like, yeah, they suck and it can be really frustrating. But every time 
you overcome one of those. I do believe it really helps build your character and for me it's built my resilience and like some days I feel a bit like why do I have to be resilient? It's actually really annoying. Why do I have mm. to why do I have to bounce back? But actually that is just how life is. Yeah. It's going to happen. It makes me kind of proud that I'm like well, you know, there was a th- if you look at kind of like uh, my makeup. Mm-hmm. So woman, disabled, like full-time wheelchair user, like I didn't, you know, you could argue that a lot of the things I've gone into were going to be a lot more challenging, especially sport. Like, yeah. it's massively male-dominated. But then that kind of, for me, like, made it more exciting. So actually, something I always emphasise is actually it's the challenge and the barriers that actually drive me and make me feel more driven to achieve. Because actually, I think when you do something easy, it's just, it's a bit, it's boring. Mm. To me, it's boring. It's like, oh, great, I did that. Whereas when you've done something no one expected, wow, this feels incredible. And, like, I've got a sense of pride and I've surprised myself and everyone else around me. And that motivates me more. So for me, barriers and challenges are actually like a motivation. It doesn't mean that I don't find them hard. Just for the record, like they get me down at times. But Mm. in the long run, that is something that really stands out to me. But I think it's just inevitable that they're going to that they're going to rise. But it's up to you how you choose to address them. And I do strongly believe that you have. It's the one thing we have our choice on how we behave, how we react. It's our it's that's ours. No one else has control over that. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to take ownership for that. You, you said earlier about um, about COVID kind of thinking, oh, it's time to time to retire. But did, when you were competing, did you think then, oh, I want to do motivational speaking and I want to be a commentator, I want to do this, I want to do that? Or were you just so solely focused on competing in tennis? No, so well, kind of both, actually, in a way. So I was solely focused. However, I did, I always did something alongside my tennis, always. So often it was speaking, it was working um, as a mentor in schools. So I was doing bits and pieces alongside Mm -hmm. because I was always really adamant that, like I went to college, I went to uni because I was like, I'm I'm in sport. I could could have to stop tomorrow, whether it be funding, injury, you know, it's sport, right? It could stop overnight. So I always had something, but I never really pieced together what my sort of future working life would look like exactly post tennis what I learned in the last few years of competing was that I didn't want a boss and I wanted to be my own boss um because basically I'd 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 been on the like elite program for many years um and then they actually kicked me off the the program when I was at my highest ever ranking I was doing the best I've ever been I was I was actually flying and it was and actually it was the first time I'd ever really believed in myself I was doing so well and they took all my funding away from me wow um I made a choice in that moment, this goes back to the barriers thing. I wasn't done. And I literally, I got a part-time job. I tapped up the sponsors that I've already got and said, hey, this is what happened, can you help me? I found a way to run my own program away from them okay. for the last five years of my career. And although I was literally exhausted and, and ill the whole time, because I was so overworked, yeah. um, it's the best five years of my life because I was completely in control. So that's where I learned that from. I was like, never again am I going to put myself in a position where someone could do that to me. Yeah, someone can take something away. Yeah, because it actually did destroy me in the short term. Um, It sent me back into therapy. What it did to my confidence was horrendous. Yeah. And I feel sad thinking about it now. But I'm so far from that person now. But it was so hard. But it was that experience that made me go, never again. Never again will I allow myself to be in that position. So that drove me to being self-employed and being my own boss. But I never completely pictured what that looked like. Like I thought I'd probably, I was doing commentary when I was competing anyway. So I thought, I thought that would carry on. I wanted to keep do, being an athlete mentor, 
but lots of things like I do a lot more um, talks than I ever thought I would mm-hmm. the inclusion stuff I didn't think I'd specifically go down which I'm loving like I definitely never thought I'd be an international tournament director that was never on the radar yeah, and now I've done four yeah. now I'm in the middle of doing one now um, so yeah like all these things have kind of come to me but you know it's funny like when I did go right I'm going to be self-employed I came up with this whole plan of what I was going to do who I was going to contact and I never had to use it the long story short was I was talk, talk, talk about it. And Chris one day went, someday you've got to stop talking about that and do it. And I was like, all right. You know, sometimes he's right. Um, and I literally, sometimes, sometimes, that's fine. He knows sometimes he's right. Um, again, and I came up with this big master plan. I've still got it on my phone. And I've never used it. And I don't know if it's like, I don't know if the world just rewarded me somehow. I don't know. But then all these things just came to me. And I just yeah. took, and I suggested everything. Which led me to now being in a lovely position where... I have to say no, and I have. I can now choose the things that I want to Brilliant. do, which is a which is. Chris said it to me last week. He said, "You." I had a bit of an overwhelming moment last week where I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like I basically was given an opportunity. I was like, "Should I? Shouldn't I?" And he went, "Do you realise this was where you dreamt of being about two years ago?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." And that nice was a bit of an eye Yeah. Yeah, I needed that actually because I literally my felt my shoulders go. Oh yeah, okay, this is a really good it's problem a, yeah, to this have. Is what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, rather than feeling overwhelmed. So yeah. Oh, brilliant. So, say you know, one of the big developers who tend to favour, I suppose, the bigger managing agents, if you like. What what I would love is to be able just to get everybody in a room and just to listen to, to, to you specifically speak about all of this. Bring me um, in. And I'll <laughs> Roll me in. <laughs> um, and maybe they'll listen to my podcast, who knows. Um, but it would just be amazing just to get all of this information out there that make it more widely available so you said do you do courses did you say yeah, yeah. so so i'm doing um i do some courses um with a lovely lady called rachel weaven who i think you might know i do know rachel um yeah, yeah so we're doing some stuff around inclusivity at the moment um that's in um companies and businesses to help them really destigmatize what being different can mean right. and understand and this is the way i describe it and what understanding that we're all actually different when you boil it down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people get labels put on them and it scares people. Yeah. So that's one of the courses we're doing. I, I personally as well um, can support businesses or whatever it may be, organisations with access and thinking about that kind of nitty gritty stuff when it comes to physical access or, or access as a general kind of topic really. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we do do courses. I can do that as well. And for me, like you said, I, I'd love to speak to those people because I... For me, it's about what I just said. It's what me and Rachel do. It's let's just destigmatize this. Don't be scared of it. Don't fear it. And don't get wrapped up in the fear of cost and what that can mean. Because actually, when you break it down, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that much to no. ask to give everybody an equal playing field in life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there are probably a lot of, more than I probably realised, to be fair, sort of common misconceptions and stereotypes about having a disability. Yes, if it's too personal, please tell me. But can you share any examples of, I suppose, ignorance or lack of understanding around when people have, you know, oh, asked you to do something, but just been completely ignorant to what you are trying to achieve? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think I think for me, like a common one, a common one that still comes up today is just how people are stunned by how capable I am, yeah. and it still happens today. So for me, like. Do you know what I really can't stand is if someone goes, what do you do? I go, well, I'm self-employed and I give them the list. Like, I just yeah, gave yeah. to you. Go, wow, that's amazing. Good on you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Because that's incredible what you're doing, considering. And oh. then I get, and the eyes go to my chair. So 
I know what I know what's in. I'm like, a bit I like think a pat on the head, isn't it? It's just. It's like, exactly. I get that. them a lot too. Oh, my height, by the way. Friend. Just FYI, that's a side note. That's one of my biggest pet peeves too. Just because I'm sat down, please don't pat my head. People <laughs> like, actually pat your head. People actually pat my Where? head, and I cannot tell you how much it irritates me. Okay. That's a side note. Sorry. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like, and there's that, there's always that considering. I work just as hard as my able-bodied counterparts. I deserve to be where I am. And just because I'm sat down mm-hmm. and can't walk does not mean that I'm incapable of achieving. So for me, that's a really common one that I still have today is that lack of like people believing that I'm capable of that. It's like mm. I said, it's more of the good on you rather than like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's yeah. more like, oh, well done, like for getting up and doing <sighs> something. Yeah, and that that's a really frustrating one. It, in, actually, and this is in many settings. It can be in work settings. It can be in social settings. Is that talking over and past me, like I'm unable to communicate what I need, and that can be in any setting at all. But if I'm with someone who is standing up, I guarantee you that person will be asked questions about me, and that kill, and that's in every setting. Mm-hmm. And that that could be going into a work meeting that I'm potentially even leading, <laughs> right? Which is fun. And yeah. then and it could be in a social setting, like going to a shop or something. Mm. And that's another one. And like it's that misconception of. Like, my brain actually works. Like, not on a Sunday, though. Sunday's a day I switch off, just well, for a full warning. Yeah. Turn the brain off that day. <laughs> but, like, actually, like, for me, my disability, the way my disability affects me is very much from my waist down. So my waist down, I'm pretty useless. Like, mm-hmm. my legs aren't working. But actually, I think I break up for it, hopefully from the waist up. <laughs> I think as well, like, with other work I do, like, when I work with the adults I mentioned earlier that I work with in a local charity, like, a lot of those guys are on the spectrum, for example. Mm-hmm. When we look at helping them move into work, you know, employers like, well, you know, I don't know if we can make all of these adaptions. And I'm like, the only adaption that individual needs is for you to give them one instruction at a time today. That's all they need. Huh. Like, well, but they've got this in this condition. Yeah, they've got all of that. But the only adaption they need is because actually sometimes for people with certain diagnosis, having a whole list of stuff to do in a day is too much. Yeah. But actually, if you give them one at a time, they'll smash it and do it quicker yeah. than anyone else. Probably. Yeah. And like, that's another misconception that that doesn't relate to myself personally, but I see a lot with more sort of cognitive disabilities. So there's a lot out there. And I'm trying really hard to like destigmatize them because actually that is nothing to adapt for that individual. Yeah. And for me, it's nothing just to talk to me like you talk to everybody else. Do you know, it's crazy. Uh, my colleague and I were at a awards function back at the end of 2023. And there was a guy who came over and, and he was like, oh, you know, I want to I wanna talk to Fraser Allen about being a contractor on your list and all that kind of stuff. He actually had the conversation with a guest on our table who had nothing to do with Fraser Allen, but because he was a man, had the conversation and this guy said, oh, you need to speak to those two over there, pointed out me and my colleague. He just went, oh no, it's fine, and walked away. Um, wow. And so, I mean, obviously See, that's so women, not, it's what I mean. It's so. women, you know, women in, in business as well. Mm. And I think, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, I'm sure. But it, it is, but you know what I find interesting? So I see that happen and it still kills me. But with me, I sometimes don't know which one it is. I'm sometimes like, is this because I'm female? Or because I'm sat down. Because yeah. I wonder that too. And, I, and I'll be honest, I actually automatically always go to the disability one. Mm, because I just might. think, like verbally, I've kind of had more confirmation that's what it is, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. I get that, oh, well done you. But actually, sometimes I'm like, is it because I'm female? Like, mm. I don't know. But that is just ridiculous, what you've just said. It's crazy, And do you know it? what? They're lost. You don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say? I think, I think I'd just like to add... A compliment to you because Aww. well from the moment I met you I just love how much you care about this um you you're a bit of an inspiration in, like from my point of view because you you know your trade you know your stuff inside and out but I love that you add this layer of actually really caring about Aww. people thank you and no but I really appreciate it because as someone who who would understand the benefit of having somebody like you in your field 
and thinking about us beyond just the black and white and like actually these things are small and we can really change your life yeah like i really appreciate that um and i just really encourage everyone else within you know your world your industry to think like you so thanks Aww. for having me that's so kind and how can everybody find you if they want to you can find me so my, my, web, my website i lost my words my website is louisehunt.co.uk um, but I'm on social media as well, so on LinkedIn and all the kind of normal socials, Louise Hunt. So yes. you can find me that way. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thank, thank you. you very much.